and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fulwoman. My guest today is Teo Pangliss. Now Teo is probably best known for portraying Tony DeMera and Andre DeMera on Days of Our Lives, but he actually got his start on daytime television portraying Victor Cassidyne on General Hospital. Teo has been in soaps for over 40 years, he's had an amazing career. But his real passion project is his new podcast called The Lost Treasures. The adventure story explores the Iliad and the Odyssey through the life of Heinrich Schliemann, who is considered the father of modern archaeology. Teo went to amazing places for his three-part podcast. He shares some of the stories. The fourth part of the podcast is why he decided to do this and shares some real-life danger that Teo got involved with. We discussed that. We discussed Thanksgiving. Teo, such a gentleman. I really enjoyed my conversation with him, and I hope you do as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you. It's a it's a pleasure. You know, it's nice to talk to an adult <laughs> who likes the same things you do, and and we can share that experience. Um, it's kind of nice also to talk to people who've never heard of these stories and let them in on things they've missed out on. You know, I had great teachers. We had to know from the beginning when I took classes in New York. We had uh, we had to learn about respect. We had to learn about boundaries. We had to learn about all the issues that make you as an actor understand a character by the way you interpret those boundaries. Because, you know, today the young, the very young, will talk to a 20-year-old the same he will talk to a 70-year-old. There's no differentiation. And right. exactly in order to develop character, you have to let the audience know the, how you speak to that person and so you know with when i was doing days all those years um i learned a lot because even though it was fast um i was part of a world like the stellar adlers um elia kazan you know the theater mm -hmm. that i saw in new york uh, they taught us uh and you know what it sustains that's why those stories sustain and that's why they become classics. The others will go, you know, you go to a movie and you remember popcorn more than you do the story because it's right. a story. It's all noise, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I am I was going to start with one thing, but I was going to ask you one quick question. You know, being on days for, you know, for like four decades now, how, what was the difference between when you started and then, like when, like you finish, just like young and up and coming actors, and 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 like just the production. Like, has there been a change? Like, I know you mentioned about people talking, like younger adults talking how they would twenty year old to a seventy year old. But when did you really notice the shift in that while you're working on the show? Well, the beginnings were not easy because the brain can't recall that much dialogue. It's not trained. It's a muscle. So you have to adjust to that. Um, fear, the fear factor, overcoming that. Um, the impatience that certain actors have who've been there for a while don't have the patience to 
to work with an actor who's just starting. Um, you know, they throw you the ball and you catch it and you don't pass it back. So for me, um, I had to learn fast. I, I had a few insults uh, in my beginning by some of the actors who really um, did not welcome me well. Also, I was ethnic. Right. So when I came on, it was all very Anglo. And so who are you? And the way I dressed or the way I spoke, it was foreign in those days, in the 80s. And also, because I started on General Hospital, right. um, it it broke boundaries. So I started with the Cassidines, and then I went to, to Days of Our Lives and started the Demera family, and then Joe Moscolo came in. But as I went along, and I got to know that the shoes I wore or the suit that I put on gave me the attitude so that when I came into the studio one way as myself, when I put those clothes on and the makeup, when I walked through the doors of the studio, I became somebody else because the shoes to me were always the most important factor. It helped me know how to strut, how to walk, how to sit, <laughs> uh, the kind of clothing I chose to wear. So it's all part of the of the frame that you create for the audience to see. Do they like it? Do they? Well, I was fortunate that the people liked my character because he was different. <laughs> I found it different. And so as we went along and people started to appreciate that I was trained, it's just the dialogue was too hard for me to remember. But when I started to expand that muscle, um, I found that I could stand on my own. And so I started to see how well, some of the actors, especially the male actors, um, were not as warm towards me. They kind of <laughs> felt threatened. Part of it was because I played diabolical men. I, I was not easy to know. I also didn't give the secrets up too quickly. I saved some for the take so that actors were not as steady with me, but that was part of being the villain, you know, when right. I was doing so. So it was a, it's a game. It's how you play the game. Some people love it, uh, you know, love sharing it, uh, throw you the ball. It makes them better. It changes the, what they expected to say or the way they would say it. So all that is part of what the teachings of the earlier part of my life brought to me. And the same when we talked about, you know, cooking, it's the same thing. Um, what ingredients do you put in that makes the result of this recipe? It's the same as an actor. Mm -hmm. What do you put in as a character, attitude, the way you listen, the way you, you dress, the way the way you, you, you confront? All those things are part of what cooking, because I love cooking, uh, allowed me to understand. Because I always think if you can understand one area of life, then you can put that whole premise to another. The confidence also that it gives you. So the other night I cooked, I had uh, 10 people and I cooked mm -hmm. Greek food. I started with the Greek, Greek meatballs and I started with the, the, my crab dip and I started with, um, uh, what was it, crab, uh, the meatballs and, um, oh, God. But oh, the 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 scallops that I do with capers, mm. and I slowly would pass around, and then I made moussaka, and that 
took me altogether from the night before five hours to finally come together. Mm. That was a lot of work. It's like you, you do it to, we're coming to Thanksgiving. Uh, that, that takes a lot of hours yeah. to prepare. And people eat within 15 minutes and you think, I just spent two days right. <laughs> together. And people are just talking away and everything. Not, I mean, firstly, they'll say, oh, this is delicious. or this is wonderful. The table looks wonderful. The atmosphere of the room, you know, the smell, the, the, the spices that you have smell in the room, the flowers that you may have, um, the guests dress a different way, you know, um, you know, having a few drinks uh, in the afternoon. Uh, and it's a family gathering where people are pleasant <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> argumentative. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, so the musica came out really well. Um, okay. So the bechamel sauce took a while, but it all came out really well. It was a very successful dinner. So uh, I'm not going to do Thanksgiving for the first time this year. Okay. I decided I was invited somewhere else. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to somebody else's kitchen and see how they do it, you know. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So what would you what would you bring? What would I bring? Yeah, for Thanksgiving. I said to, you know, usually Greeks, you never ask them when they say to you, what do, what do you want us to bring? You, that You don't do that. You just bring, you know, a surprise yeah. gift or whatever. Most people bring a bottle of wine. Okay. People bring flowers. So I said to the host, uh, Rick Birch, his name is, he, he, he directed the Olympics in Australia and in China with Spielberg, hmm. and I, he uh, he called me up. He had just he he married a Polish woman, and and she and I hit it off. So she said, "Oh, please, I invite Taya." So he calls me up. I haven't seen him in a year because they've been living in Poland. And he says, "Well, would, I said, what would you like? What what will I bring you?" You know, he says, "No, no, you've invited us so many times to our house, to your house. That no, no, no. Please just come as yourself." Bring a date if you wish, but come as yourself. So I've got to take something. Yeah. So I, I don't guess. know. Maybe I'll take chocolates. I don't know. Maybe, you know. Um, but for Beata, maybe some beautiful flowers or something. Okay. You know, um, the only thing you worry about flowers is is if they're in a vase, <laughs> you know, you're driving. And right. It's going, you know. So it's all those things that you have to consider. But this is my first year. I usually take care of orphans. Okay. You know? who don't have family anymore. Um, but I've decided to be kind to myself this year. Um, you know, I've got other things I have to do. And so, um, you know, it takes you a few days. Yes. Yeah. How about you? How about yeah. you? Is your yeah, wife okay? No. Um, Thanksgiving is the one holiday we don't do. We go to my uh, brother-in-law and his wife. So it's a, it's a Jewish-Italian uh, marriage. Uh, so, uh, you know, food is, you know, a big deal. So we always, uh, we'll bring a dessert. My wife likes to to bake and my, my daughter loves to bake. So I'm sure they'll, they'll do something and I'll just watch <laughs> and then I'll, I'll like, and I'll, I'll enjoy it. When, when... And you tell them a few stories. It, 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 exactly. You know, we, we all try to keep it pleasant and be, be thankful for each other and, and the food as well. So it's um, always a great holiday to be with family and enjoy food. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's nice. So what would you think you mentioned before about days and stuff like that? So what do you think the biggest misconception is about soap operas? Hmm. 
there've been many. Uh, some somehow, I think daytime, because that's when people work. People work uh, during the day. So what are you watching television for? You should be working. You know. <laughs> so I think in a way, you know, people are comfortable watching television at night because they've accomplished their day and they've done their job. But to watch daytime means, well, you know, it used to be selling products, you know, soap operas mm, were selling right. products. And, that. Uh, and then uh, people like um, the pr- executive producer who, who who brought the Luke and Laura story, mm. she changed the format, Gloria Monty, and what she brought to it was a different size to the story, to the characters that were played, to the sets, to the music. She brought a whole different element, and it changed daytime because people had to compete and because they saw the audience and how large it was. When I arrived on days, there were still cobwebs there. You know what I mean? It was old sets. Right. You know, and so it was like looking at old America. And so they had to change it and modernize. So I, I think daytime, because it's fast and because it's serial form and because sometimes actors get their beginnings on soaps so therefore the talent is not as evolved as you would go and see a nighttime series um there's something about stuff about having to learn your lines and having one one rehearsal so you'll know for the cameraman where they're going to shoot you it's not really for the actor but for you for the actor it's about getting out the lines then you you have to do it in one take. And then if you've got nine scenes back to back, you know, you can't always give your best performance. I mean, you know, if I, it's like getting scrambled eggs every day. Do you know what I mean? Instead of a roast or something that makes you go, oh, wow. So occasionally you'll get good actors and we've had some good actors, uh, especially the German scholars, you know. Right, yeah. uh, Those who've been around, the vets, Mm -hmm. The young ones, yeah, there's some good ones, you know, they're, and, and also they want the young ones because, you know, they're pretty. And, and I said, yes, but ha- have you seen the way they act some of them? Yeah. At all. And I think that's what gives a bad reputation. There are parts of daytime that um, if you've ever been to the daytime Emmys as opposed to the nighttime Emmys, okay. the sounds and the screams by the actors when their show wins is so it's like you're it's like are they serious can can they just applaud and nighttime you know they applaud right at daytime they scream it's like going into a supermarket instead of going into where you're dressed nighttime so how does costume make you perform that way so that's the only thing about daytime it shows from its beginnings that it's it's not as classy. Hmm. It doesn't, doesn't have so, um, and, and I find a lot of it is I, I find a lot of it's rigged. And they may hate me for saying this, but I feel right. like a lot of the the shows you know impose on the uh, actors who are voting who to vote for, who to concentrate on, and so uh, if you if your performance is better than theirs, they'll vote you out, so you don't have mm-hmm. to. And compete. So um, you're lucky if you win an Emmy. Right. But at the same time, they forget who won. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't add to your salary. Whereas at nighttime, 
it adds to your salary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Movie Oscars adds to your salary. Right. In the daytime, you know, so it doesn't have the same attributes. The only great, you know, I loved, I loved my characters. I loved uh, the stories I've had. What I've loved more is that it afforded me the journeys that of I course. took. That's right. that, that was my reward. And also because I got to know some wonderful people who have become very close friends of mine, especially Eileen, uh, uh, Leanne Hunley and, and right. uh, Lauren Pogler. Th- those actors I, I, I really appreciate. Um, the men, not so much. Right. They're a different breed, I find. Yeah. But but one man I'm sure uh, you really enjoyed was was uh, obviously Joseph, who played your father, Stefano. A legend on the show. Um, you have any good stories that you can share about it, Joe? Yeah, I'll tell you a story. Um, in the end, you know, at first, he and I came from the same workshop. I recommended Joe. I was on the show six okay. months before he was. And they said, we kind of bring on your father. And then I said, well, I have an actor that would be just fabulous for it. And that was Joe. And Joe and I had just re- having rehearsed Lion in Winter, where he played the king and I played the prince from France, uh, the future king of France. And uh, so we, we we got along really well. Plus, I enjoyed the fact that Joe was a, a wonderful classical musician. He was a man mm-hmm. of many talents. But in the end, you know, dementia came to him. Yeah. So I remember one time when I was about to start working with him and, and he was screaming at people. And I I knew about dementia because my brother-in-law had died of it. And um, I remember putting my hand on his hand when he was losing it. And I said, oh, because people who have dementia remember the past. Right. Don't push them into the future because they don't understand that. So I just put my hand on his hand and I just mentioned to him, do you remember how great we were together? Do you remember those those wonderful scenes? I mentioned the scenes to him. So, oh, yeah. I said, remember when you did this? Oh, yeah. Wasn't that wonderful? So I got him into a mood that suddenly mm-hmm. brought him into the present. And the crew, they didn't put it in the booth. They didn't understand. What did he just do? What did he just do? How did he calm Joe? We did the scene finished the scene, and as soon as he went to go up, he started screaming again. But at that moment, Joe and I was Stefano and Tony. And, you know, in the end, when he had to leave, I was used to, you know, I, I've been killed seven times. So I'm, right. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, I won't go into that. But, mm-hmm. but Joe was walking out, and he said, this is it? he realized that his character had died mm. and said, this is it so i realized he'd been living this character for many many years but he loved his character right you know you have to love who you're playing that's part of the magic you know if you don't like who you're playing it's going to show it's going to be mediocre but for him walking down that hall realizing that it was over that was sad to see mm. and um i remember then in the end i went over to him in his room and said yeah, i'm going home now so i kissed him goodbye and as i walked out he turned to somebody and said who is that mm. that was the most difficult thing right in the end that which was so magical between us 
had been forgotten. And that's the sad thing about what happens to people's minds. But while he was there, he was a beauty. <laughs> Just, mm, right. Memories of him. Yeah, I mean, you have the memories, so that's great. Yeah, my my grandfather passed away due to dementia, and yeah, it's it's not it's not pleasant. It's not yeah. a, a yeah. terrible disease. So when you were on the show and you see that big portrait of him in the mansion, like what what are your emotions towards that? You know, you used to watch all those movies like Rebecca and all those classical movies, there's always a portrait. But usually, you know, it was a portrait that was ominous and villainous, you know. Right. Or something would come from it. And I look up at Joe and I see the aristocrat, I think. I see a man that we spend so many years together. So when I look at him, and it's hard to believe that he's gone, but when I look at him with such nostalgia, I think that we that we both gave each other something very special. Um, he left forgetting it, though. But um, you know, to tell you a story quickly, there was a, I had a friend who's a psychic, and he was across from me reading me. And with his eyes closed, and then he said, oh, my God, who is this pushy person? Who is this pushy person trying to come in? But I said, I don't know. What's his He's saying his name is Joseph. <laughs> and he's saying, what the F have they done to my family? So we've lost a bit of the Demeras, I think, on the show. Right. We've lost what they've stood for. Mm. It was a differentiation between the good, the bad, the sophisticated, the normal, the uh, diabolical, to the innocent. It's kind of become flat. Right. It's lost that meaning. Um, but he was, so I understood what he was saying. I even told my producer that, and he laughed his head off. I said, there's a bit of truth in that. What have you done to my family? <laughs> you know, because, you know, we, we were the Demeras. We were a certain ethnic, um, you know, they started to bring actors on playing Demeras who were more Anglo. Mm. You know what I mean? It's that, that right. kind of casting that was not, I thought, kind of took away. You know, I, I'm a purist. You know, I like things also done well. I don't like... Um, kind of excuses. I mean, you know, the the trouble is uh, they run out of stories, you know, and they keep stealing from others or doing whatever, but it's not just daytime, even nighttime. I mean, after yeah. one, it's going, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't resonate anymore. Yeah. So many, you know, this, these are the days we're seeing, it's like a factory. We're seeing so much, but we don't have the people behind the scenes who care enough or are knowledgeable enough or sophisticated enough to make it better than what it should be. Yeah. It's, I would imagine it's more of just like a factory line now and just get the product out there. It doesn't really matter the quality. It's just get it out there and move on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not that they're not capable. 
it's just the pressure of getting it out now. You know, we've we've got talented people on our show. It's just that we've got to do it so fast. Right. Budget, budget. It's all about money. Everything's about money these days. Was it before? Maybe it was, but we didn't put it up as a neon sign. You know, it was subtle. So we get it. We get the fact that we're being pushed. We get the fact that, you know, be prepared three scenes before so we're not calling you again. You know, things like that. Never used to be that way. Right. Was it hard for you to keep secrets? Like you obviously filmed so far in advance before the show actually airs. Was it hard for you to like, you know, keep storylines to yourself? <laughs> Boy, did I get into trouble. <laughs> But then I was, you know, I was a bit of an instigator, I suppose. Uh, no, when when the time about who was the particular killer, um, I had gone to Israel. Okay. And I was having a wonderful time in Israel. Even the Mossad, as I said in my story, they circled me and thought right. I was a terrorist. Um, but I went and did a, a big news story for NBC. So they said to me, uh, so who's the killer? And I said, oh, well, when is this story going to be published? They said, oh, not for four months. I said, well, it's so-and-so. Well, that person, journalist, went and told another person. Another person told another person. Before you knew it, it was on the internet. Yeah. (laughs) When I came back, I'm called up. He says, you try, I think it was the time when I was going to be killed off again. You tried to ruin the show. I said, why would I do that? He says, why would you tell the, the, the killer story there? Because I said, they told me it was not going to be published for another three months. It didn't dawn on me that they were going to betray me and, and, and go and spread the news really fast because it was a big story. Yeah. They made they changed the story. It upped the ratings <laughs> because people thought it was um, Malena. Right, right. So they changed it and made it somebody else. So it, draw in, it did draw in the audience, but at the same time, it taught me a great lesson about you don't tell, doesn't yeah. matter when it's happening. You know how it, how it is. I won't tell. Of course. I won't tell. I said, yeah. of course not. You know, so that's, that was, that that was, I, you know, I even said, I think, I remember saying to my producer, you think I went all the way to Israel to destroy the show? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wanted to do that. So anyway, I was forgiven. Right. I died, and then I was brought back a year later. Yeah, right. And like you mentioned, you've died, like I believe, seven times. So I'm not going to ask you favorite deaths. That's kind of boring. But when you found out you're dying for the first time, like how do you react to that? Well, the first time when I left the show was my choice. Okay. I went on to do Mission Impossible. Right. Um, When they called me up and they said, we're going to kill the character, I had just lost my parents that week. So I was not in the best of mood, and the producers—it's different now. They'll just call you up and say, "Oh, we're killing the story, killing the character." They called me up, and there were five of them in the room, and uh, they said, "We're going to kill the character." And I looked, "Why would you kill this character? It's one of the more interesting characters, from what I gather from people." And then I got up and I remember saying to them, it's something more interesting, not that you're killing me, but who you're keeping. 
and do me a favor the next time you're going to tell an actor that he's going to be killed off do it after he finishes these scenes hmm. so i had to go downstairs and do scenes after they had told me i was going to die and i remember an actress saying what's the matter and i said they're going to kill me off again and they went what so I had to play with that, and but I used it. I I, I used. I kind of in my mind killed them all myself. Being the villain that I was, I right. sat in my mind, I'm going to kill them all. <laughs> That's how I played. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you might as well make fun of it, and and you know. But the thing is, and I always would advise actors: leave well. Mm, right. Leave well. Don't make too much noise. Don't don't stop. And I, I I thank them and listen. It was a good job, but then of course they called me back again and hmm. so it happened seven times. So after the seventh time, you're going, or oh, can I just go up the stairs and disappear for a while? Exactly. It like is what I've done with Anna now. We haven't right. been up to that. So it looks like we've disappeared, um, which is fine because I've been doing my podcast and other things. Yeah, and I'm going to mention the podcast in one quick second. Um, but do you feel like you could like, the deaths kind of lose meaning after, say, the fifth, sixth, seventh one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's almost like people can't take it seriously, and you must try to say to them, "Have them just disappear." But they want to make a rating, you know, rating. And now people don't take it seriously. Oh, they'll be back. You know, you know, in Salem, they'd never die. Right. <laughs> so uh, in many ways, it's good because actors can come back. It's not such a, it's not such a deadline, you know, that it's never going to be presented again. So. Yeah. So but I never got fired because I was bad. Right. That's one thing. I must say, it wasn't because of my work. Um, I think it was a particular writer who, who's somebody had gone to him and said, I said his scripts were terrible, which mm. is not true. Um, I always learned what was written and tried to make the best of it. And so the 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 competition and the way they people played the games, I know who the actors were. Um, they're still there. Well, one of them's still there. Um, but you know, if someone wants to get rid of you because you're competition, it's it, it, it's amazing. I mean, it, it's not just in daytime; it happens everywhere. Right. You know, amount of competition is fierce. Does has that happened a lot? Where you might have a character who's really successful, but they just don't mesh well with the producer slash writer for the, for that particular character. You know, I. I've never had that problem. I never caused that. I never caused that. That right. was someone's lie. So that when I left and then I came back when that writer was fired, when they came back, they got rid of me right away. Hmm. So they held the the gripe. Um, there was one producer, uh, I think by the name of Tomlin, who wanted to get rid of the vets. Okay. Because we want to see young people now. We don't want to see the old. Right. And I'm thinking, do you know who our audience is? And it was funny because when I saw him coming down the hall, I don't care anymore at this stage of my life um, with these stories, but I saw him walking down the hall. I didn't know who he was. And and I went over to a friend and said, 
whoever this man is, if he's an actor, he should play Iago. And he comes up to him and he goes, hello, Teo, I'm your new producer. And as he left, I turned around to my friend, I said, I'm dead. And <laughs> I was dead. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, what they don't understand, they think they have the young, we're going to stop and see the young. Someone said to me, oh, yeah, but they're, they're pretty when they take their shirts off. And I said, i got to tell you honestly, people will get sick of it. How many times can you watch it? Even the actors get tired of it because they yeah. feel like they're being used in, in a right. not in a in a positive way. Um, but you know, why get rid of the vets? The reason why the show has sustained itself is because we we become part of people's family. Of course, yeah. You know, so uh, but you know, people have jobs; they do what they want to do with it, and and he didn't last very long. Right. Well, yeah, he made a, a, a stupid decision by killing you off. So, yeah, <laughs> again. So, yeah, absolutely. My, uh, I've been with my wife for almost 30 years now, like started dating uh, when we were young. So we were in college together and I was the only person in our like group of friends who had a VCR. So obviously I had to record days for her. I had another friend who was a big Young and the Restless fan. So the shows kind of overlapped a little bit and they were like, oh, can I record, you know, Young and Restless, can I record Days? And being, you know, diplomatic and knowing I don't want to really piss off my girlfriend at the time slash, you know, future wife. I'm like, all right, we'll give half hour for each of them. Uh, half hour became 40 minutes for her, then 45. And then eventually I just recorded the whole show for her and I kind of left my my friend out in the cold. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so and that was in the mid '90s when obviously, um, you know, the big story back then was Marlena being possessed by the devil. So that's when yeah. I started watching it, and then apparently, you know, she was possessed once again a few years ago. Like you mentioned, can't come up with new stories; you have to kind of recycle them, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, it didn't have the effect. No, the original did. The original was really very good. Right, uh, and and I remember one point. I said to Marlena, really stare at me so that, and I said, is the wall strong enough to, to take my fall? And the producer said, what are you going to do? I said, you know what I really would like to do is that she's going to stare at me so hard that it takes me across the room and I fly against the wall. So they had three crew members standing behind the, <laughs> wall, the wall, holding it up as I went back. But right. you know, that, that that's an act of being creative because it wasn't in the scene, you know. Right. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I think Calabardi did a decent job uh, of of uh, doing this story, but you know, it's like you if someone says to you, "Oh, um, I've never had turkey before," and they have it, and they go, "Oh, wow!" But the next time, it's going to be, "Oh, you know, I've had turkey, and it's good." Yeah. You know, so it doesn't right. have the same effect. You know, it's like. So we repeat stories, and and not just in daytime, in 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 every in everything. Yeah. I mean, sequels, mm. not sequel. You know, it all becomes tedious, and because people think because you know the stories of these movies, you can bring it in. It takes less advertising. Right. Advertising is a huge cost. So so there's many reasons as to why people do it. But one story that is really intriguing and fantastic is your podcast the uh lost treasures um it's it's out 
all the podcast sites as well. Um, it starts as a, as a trilogy, so three episodes, and the last episode is kind of why you did it, and you um, it it is fantastic. Um, and plus, you have the voice that makes um, the topic, which is a fantastic topic anyway, uh, more enjoyable to listen to. So, congratulations on the success of the podcast. Oh, thank you. It's been a privilege to do. You know, I never thought of myself as a writer. Um, I always was a, a history buff. And, you know, I considered myself a, a, a modern man walking an ancient road. And what I found on that road, I found that that is really a fantastic story. So um, I went through so many documents, so many books on, on the Schliemann character. And it was such a wonderful love story, and as well, and the father, the fact that he became the father of archaeology. So that story really intrigued me. And so, you know, I'd go to Troy and I'd sit at the edge of those nine cities built over each other, and I thought to myself, my God, right in front of me is where the great war between the Greeks and the Trojans took place. And I walked amongst it, you know, and the ruins and. It just, you know, my imagination just kind of mm-hmm. the way, you know, and as an actor, uh, how how do you become a better actor? I think, you know, you you build your foundation, you build your imagination. And and um, and then when I went to uh, Mycenae in Greece, which I did a, quite a few times, and then I was uh, given permission to, to go into Schliemann's uh, mansion, and by myself and explore his whole house. I met the minister of culture. Um, he was very generous in his time to me. And then um, going to Crawshaw to Kefalonia and understanding where I was, there where I was standing was a valley. Uh, and a scholar said to me, do you realize that where we're standing used to be uh, 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 the sea mm-hmm. and and it separated two islands one called Agostoli which in ancient times was Ithaca and this is Kefalonia and that used to be a mountain up there and two thirds of it came down in such a major earthquake between the 4th and 6th century and it filled it up and, and there I was standing and I thought my god I'm standing where a major piece of history took place and where it changed and, and where Ithaca got lost. Now they're discovering where it is. And so after a while, I thought to myself, you know, I've had such a great life. Uh, just the idea that I'm in the last of it, I thought to myself, geez, uh, now that it's getting interesting uh, because I'm mature enough to understand what came before me. Um, and so I thought, I said to Major, why don't I do a chapter on uh, the reason I did the podcast? And what ended up taking place was all those incredible stories during my travels, you know, from the Mossad agents to Hezbollah, thinking I was a spy, to, um, to getting kidnapped at the pyramids, all these, all out of the story and... and um, and I keep finding out new things. So I don't know where it's going to go. Um, but, you know, I wrote a book called Places, and I have some right. great stories in there. And um, 
you know, when I went to Bethlehem and because um, I loved Israel and, 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 you know, even though many of those stories have been told, we all have different eyes and different experiences in the way we see it. And when I went to Bethlehem, I, I thought I was being kidnapped because the cab driver ended up taking me in three cars in order to get to the spot of where the Christ was born. And then to find out that it was all locked up because uh, uh, <clears throat> what's going on now? Same situation. So they shut it down, couldn't get in until a monk came out and recognized me from Mission Impossible. And the, the Israelis said, no, 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 no. And he said to me, this is a pilgrim. And I loved the word. I thought, oh my God, I like that word. Right. <laughs> I think about being a pilgrim. And he got me in, and when there was nobody else, and I sat at that spot for such a long time. And so those privileges that I've gotten um, because of my curiosity or because I was recognized, um, even when I climbed uh, Mount Moses and, uh, and I went to the top, and I remember it was dawn and the light was coming up, that what you call God's light, and... Uh, and there was a monk, 95 years old, who lived at the top. And for the first time that year, it was the it was the, the day of the bread. And they would pick him up at 95 and carry him all the way down, which was quite a distance. And uh, he said to me, um, thank you for coming. And I said to him in Greek, you know, why would you thank me to have this privilege? And he says, because... When you walk the path, you keep it alive. And so that kind of stayed with me. And I just I just love the experience. And and so all those things, there's so much to do. You know, we think we've found so much in archaeology when we realize now with what they call the LIDAR system, where they can by satellite look beneath four feet and see what else is there. So um, you know, as long as I can travel, even though it's getting more difficult and um and more uncomfortable, um, overcrowded, bad food. <laughs> I, I'm still curious about what we don't know. When did your love affair of archaeology start? And when did you first like hear of uh, Heinrich Schliemann? My love of archaeology started when I was eight. I remember running up the stairs in my house and my father to brag all the men, Greek men, were talking about who their sons were. And then my father said, well, what are you going to do when you get older? He says, I said, I'm going to be an archaeologist. Oh, my father was so proud because it sounded good. Well, you know, acting had taken over, but I, I did the second best thing, and, and I became my own archaeologist by exploring, and I found treasures in the earth in Egypt. Um, but um, and your second part of your question was, uh, how did I get interested in Schliemann? It was in 1976 uh, of a book that came out, uh, the love story, basically, of Schliemann and Sophia Gastromenos, uh, who he met when she was 16. He was looking, when he found Troy, he wanted his Helen of Troy by his side. So he chose a 16-year-old girl and took her and trained her. And she became a great asset and she carried on with his work after he died. But, you know, he he died sadly. And basically, um, 
he had a bad ear infection and he collapsed in the gutter of Naples and they knew who he was, that he looked like a pauper because uh, he was dis in disarray and, and um, he kind of died pretty much quickly after that. And I remember reading about how she waited for him at the port of Piraeus uh, of his ship coming home while he was in a lead casket and coming home and she waited for him. Um, it was like, you know, it's like the old history, you know, it was mm. such a romantic thing for me. And so I decided to go to his, um, to Schliemann's uh, at the first cemetery of Athens. I went sitting up high in the hill is this, this, um, this mortuary temple of, of Schliemann, you know, it's his, where he's buried. And I thought, oh, my, and his family there. But there were flowers in the vase. And I thought, oh, someone's still thinking of him because he has mm. no heirs. Right. No heirs at all. And uh, and it was a monument, really, to, it was a miniature Acropolis. And all around the whole piece is uh, the relief of all his work of how he discovered Troy and Mycenae and his workmen and, his wife and him holding up the the book of the Iliad because he always believed it was a map to finding Troy. Mm. So, you know, all that, you know, it stayed with me for many years. And then I thought, well, what do you do with all this? You know, you can't sit at a table and tell people, mm. oh, I want to tell you a story, you know. Right. But like they can obviously listen. It's just mm -hmm. too deep. People want to laugh and all that. So, mm. uh, so I tell them my dangerous stories and, <laughs> the parts where I got myself into trouble and um, where they tried to arrest me overseas or where they spat in my face in Syria because they, I insulted them when they said to me, you know, what 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 are you doing in our country? And I said, I want to study uh, your histories. They said, which one? Which history? They said, I said, the one before you. And they spat at me. They my passport, my American passport in my face. So, um, that was my welcome to Syria. And of course, that was in 2011. And right. a year started the war. Right. It's not over. That's still going. So, you know, you had ISIS on top of it and what they did to the city of Palmyra. Um, God, there's just so much to see. And I know it's costly because, you know, my brother said, you could have had mansions by now. <laughs> and I said, I'm living pretty well. Um one house is enough. I didn't have to go and buy houses and rents and do all that kind of thing. No, I wanted to add it to the knowledge. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the experiences that that you as an eight-year-old boy, you know, wanted to do, and then you went out and did it. I mean, you're, as an eight-year-old boy, you probably didn't want a mansion. You didn't want multiple houses. I mean, one house is enough. And to do some of these amazing things and to have these near-death experiences, which is like a real-life mission impossible for you, I mean, it's it's got to be, like, exhilarating. It, it, you know, it is. When you, when you walk into those places, like, you know, exploring where Alexander the Great, where he is, was, um, then finding out that possibly he's really in the Mediterranean somewhere buried under 15 feet of sand. Um, uh, going into the, in the fourth story where I talk about uh, going into the temple and there was a hole in, uh, in the temple and I asked what that was about and 
it's interesting to go from the 21st century of Alexandria and then as I stepped down a ladder and within 10 seconds there I was in first century Alexandria and, and I walked into this abyss and, and then suddenly I come across these tombs and they didn't let me go too far but you know it's those types of things um, so I keep on I was going to go back to Egypt last year but they haven't opened the museum yet they've been promising for the last five years so I'm going to go um, it's going to be open next year between March and May so I'll do that but you know this, now it's time where I've taken people with me I have friends who will say will you take me with you to this place especially women because they're afraid to travel right. especially in the Middle East you know about themselves and and so um they're afraid, like, you know, members of my family who can't understand why I do certain things. Uh, aren't you afraid, you know? But after a while, you learn how to be a pro, you know, to be a professional traveler. You right. have to know, you know, that when you come to the airport, you've got to know that you don't take every Tom, Dick and Harry to take you around to, to your hotel. I know enough people where I have them meet me at the airports and take me around. So I don't, I don't do things on my own that way, uh, especially in Egypt. And also uh, in Morocco, and also, well, I'm talking about the Middle East. Uh, not to say uh, Greek's different because I speak the language, you know, and also with Greeks, uh, you trust them. They're not going to kidnap you. Italians are not going to kidnap you. Right. But in the Middle East, you know, when people are poor and they think because you travel, you're rich, they'll do anything to, to hustle yeah. you. Do you have ideas for another uh, series of uh, podcasts? Yes, I do, actually. Um, I'm writing a script on Schliemann. Okay. Um, it was already completed, but they want, they gave me an idea. And so this gal and I are writing, bringing in the modern man into the ancient world, the way I've lived. And um, I'm doing... Um, which I'm looking forward to, actually. I'm doing a, a, a biblical story. And um, and then uh, I think some of the stories in my book, Places, I should record. Because there are some, especially when I went to, to Marrakesh and to Fez and, and then eventually to Casablanca. Um, that, was, that was one of the scariest things I've ever been in that Casablanca would never go again. You know, though they don't get what they want, they they do things and you just go, you know. So I've never been in a place where I stayed in my hotel after a terrible experience in Casablanca and I stayed for three days in my hotel room. That's how scared I got. Wow. We're, we're, there's too many of us in, uh, in this world and you can see how cheap life has become. Mm-hmm by the way, uh, with what's going on in the Middle East now, and, you know, as badly as the, uh, the Hamas attacked uh, the Israelis, I mean, in such an awful way. But at the same time, look what we're doing to those innocent Palestinians. So, you know, and the thing is, you don't see other countries in the Middle East helping People don't want to get involved. And it's, you know, a problem that's been going on for centuries. Because it means now that, you know, I have a, my friend who is my guide in Egypt said, I cannot tell you how many cancellations we have. 
every oh, sure. day. So look what it does, you know. Not only does it kill people, it kills people of their earnings, you know. How do they survive when their high season is cut down? And after that is the summer, and then there's nobody. How do, how do they live? So it really was a, just a terrible thing. I mean, you you look at Russia and you look at what they're doing. I mean, you know, it's, it's, we're just in a sad state of affairs, I think. And uh, it's it's in the way people think. And, you know, not crazy about the previous president and, and what he's contributed and allowed people to speak the way they speak to each other. And um, I don't like liars. You know, we're brought up and we get smacked in the face by our parents if we tell a lie. So we grow up telling the truth. And as actors, you tell the truth. That's what Spencer Tracy used to say as the actor. He says, you just walk up to your market and you tell the truth. Well, we're not telling the truth anymore. It's not just the people, it's the governments as well. They're all lying. I mean, so so you have to take care of yourself. And I think it's who you associate with and, and um, who you share with and, and those who are less fortunate, you know, um, you help. You know, it's just, it's not a good time, really. No. And even if you do tell the truth, you'll always have someone just, you know, retort yeah. back saying, oh, it's fake news. You know, when the fake news comes, oh, that's fake news. Oh, that's fake news. Yeah. And then it starts spreading around the world. Oh, it's fake news. You know, certain people, leaders, have given permission to the world to think it's all right to do th certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, human beings are suffering. And and then you think about religion and the other thing is the hypocrisy you know what I mean that people do one thing and then expect you to do it because it appeals to them right you. you know that's that's where it leads and you know when those ethics those boundaries those red lines are broken anything can happen and so uh, why did we have all this education and why you know there's a reason why we had boundaries and manners and because things become then are civilized and then you know you lose trust otherwise and trust is a terrible thing to lose you know it's but you know i have a great family and um you know eventually i'll move back to australia and and spend my you know renaissance mm -hmm. always right but uh i don't think i'll act in australia i think I think more and more I want to tell stories. Right. And you've you've told some amazing stories with the podcast and as well as Places, which is a fantastic book as well. And I can't wait to hear or read or see what is what is next with you, Teo, because I'm, I'm a big fan. And uh, congratulations to all the success. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and, and you know, I like romantic stories as well, even though they have tragedies. Yeah. It's a lot of romantic stories. You know, I love I, I love the dance of romance. You know that's always wonderful, and uh, I mean even when you read about what's going on uh, with the romance of certain certain singer these days with a certain footballer, exactly. uh, I mean, everybody goes crazy because it's like oh, it's a great romance. It's it's a fantasy. It's a fairy tale, and then it changes. I'm not saying this is not it. Yeah. Hope it works out because you know you want to see people happy. You yeah. want to see people miserable. There's enough misery around. So I, I, I love seeing happy people. 
you know. You know, it's like seeing a happy dog who sees you and wags his tail and gets all excited when they see you. That's a happy, that's yeah. a happy animal. That's a person to some people. Well, you know, we need to uh, give more happiness. And there's a lot to give thanks for. Remember that on uh, this Thanksgiving. It is, it, this is a very important Thanksgiving. People have to give thanks for what they've been through and survived and, and what they've and what they give to each other and make the choices that are choices that you don't have to regret and have to think later on and you, that you taught somebody something that was not worthy. So, you know, to this Thanksgiving, I wish them all well. And a special thanks to Teo for joining me today. The Lost Treasures is available on all the podcast sites. You can follow him on X, formerly Twitter, at Teo Pangolis. The podcast is at LST Treasures Pod. And very guest session, hit me up on X, formerly Twitter, at personal 019 or like the page We're Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes. If you find one you like, please rate and review the show. If you don't have iTunes, not a problem. Just on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, basically wherever you can find a podcast. A new episode comes out soon. For everyone who celebrates Thanksgiving, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving and stay safe.